Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening wherever you are, and welcome to Chicken Soup for the White Boy's Soul. My name is Denver Crawford, and this podcast is a closer look into my personal journey of healing through conversation. As someone who identifies primarily as a white male, I am responsible for educating myself on how to unlearn my implicit racism and the ways in which the American and global systems have contributed to a false view of myself and other people. I am attempting to create that space here on the podcast by inviting voices from all walks of life to a conversation, one aimed at learning. Too many of us are using social media and the internet at large as a placeholder for actual conversation and individual action. Here you will witness conversations that are awkward, frustrating, cathartic, confusing, but most of all, positive. I have done my best not to edit anything out of these conversations. They are real and they are honest. Editing in order to appear more intelligent or well-spoken would be against the entire idea of this thing. While this is a place I've created out of a personal need, I would like to believe that you, listener, whoever you are, might find solace and encouragement from these conversations with friends and family. If there is anything you'd like to comment on, a missed opportunity, an incorrect term, or more opportunities for learning, I encourage you to send all communications to whiteboyssoul at gmail.com. Brace yourselves. It's part two with Alicet Torres, and uh, we're getting a little loose this time. We have a couple drinks. Um, I'll give a forewarning in the beginning of this episode. You'll hear me crunching ice a little bit. Um, that only happens once. I assure you that horrible, horrible sound will not repeat itself throughout this episode. Um, and yeah, so in this episode, we dive into a little bit more about police brutality as well as uh, religion. Religion's a huge part of this episode and a um, little bit about our queer identities. And uh, this conversation, I actually debated on whether or not to release a part two to this episode just because this one felt a little more casual. Um, although I think by the end of this episode, I think we get right back to where we started and, you know, call back to things even in the first part. So um, I'm also doing my best just not to edit things. And uh, why, why would I get rid of a conversation if I've already recorded it? Maybe there's something in it to learn, even if, you know, who knows? Um, we're here. We're doing part two. Um, I think there's a lot in here that I've continued to learn from and still talk to Ali said about to this day. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy. Here's part two. All right. Part two. Welcome back. Here I have Alicet Torres Lopez. Um, and we are continuing our, our conversation from earlier. We... Uh, Took a little break, got some drinks, and that is my answer for this part of this section, which is sometimes you just need a drink. You need a drink with a friend to have conversations like these. My question after that is, what are you drinking, Alicet? <laughs> well, I just said, baby, I'm drinking more mm. Lovely. Is that your quarantine drink of choice? Um, no, my quarantine drink of choice has been Tito's. <laughs> Just straight Tito's? Or do, <laughs> do you mix it with anything? <laughs> um, no, the 
that sounds so harsh. That sounds like something <laughs> Betty Davis would be drinking during quarantine. Um, Betty Davis or uh, Joan Crawford. Oh, no, yeah. Um, no, I mix it up. Like, sometimes I'll have it with orange juice or sometimes I'll have it with some other juice. What's it called? Pacha, um, what, passion fruit. Passion fruit. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm drinking... Gin has been my drink throughout quarantine pretty much different types of gin um but i i usually will do either like a a gimlet which is you know gin lime and sugar um or uh you know right now i'm drinking a gin and tonic because you know that's easy Mm -hmm. um but yeah and i don't expect you to have an answer because we just got off the phone but did you did you any other truths that you have today that you've feel impelled to speak how can i have a truth my mind was on the champagne and cheese that's too big to fill my mind i I can't hold that many thoughts right now then never mind the answers will come in the conversation i'm sure um but a question that i wanted to start off with because we ended our last episode uh kind of talking about having the conversation and um we talked about private conversations that we've had versus like this very public conversation that we're having. And I want to know what kind of, um, what, what conversations are you having that are helpful and what conversations are you having that, you know, maybe aren't so helpful because I think everyone's focused on having the right conversation right now. And no one's focused on like, uh, I, I don't know. What, what are your feelings about conversation that needs to happen right now? And how do we balance that with our individual needs? Well, to be honest, I don't operate my life with having the proper or the right conversations or walking on eggshells or anything like exactly, that. Yeah. Um, that's just not my lifestyle. I will say, you know, that I'm, I'm very, very lucky mm-hmm. to um, have and participate in activism. Mm. So a lot of good friends of, of mine are um, activists, um, and so I've been able to help tag along, write, um, and be in, in that environment and so, you know, we, we've had hard conversations in terms of how, how, how do we, because the thing is, is that we, we're going through the, the cycle of, okay, mm. so now people realize the, their systemic racism. Which happens. Not it's not new. That, yeah. It's not news to us. Okay. Thank you for noticing okay um but it's us trying to understand how are we gonna parlay this into something greater and is this a flash in the pan how so do we... everyone is sort of like mm-hmm. how is this gonna be in the long term you know how what do, i mean how like, do we... my example, question to that taylor's murder murderers are still, still there's still Do you know what I mean? So it's, you know, and there's a lot of that. And so how, Mm. how do we get to, for bigger gains? How do we get bigger gains? 
you know, it's all great and all that, that everyone's painting Black Lives Matter on, on sidewalks and on the street. And, right, but that, where, where do we get advocacy? How do we actually get laws changed? Like, this is what we want. This is what everyone mm-hmm. needs. How do, yeah. How, do, how does it not just, like, because this, I've seen this happen since my, you know, kind of, like, I'm, I'm still a young person who uh, has been relatively conscious of the world outside of myself for five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, even in the five or six years that I've really been paying attention to the way the world reacts to the traumagenic events of, like, black lynchings and, like, widespread videos on Facebook of, like, cops killing people. Um, People turn it into a hashtag and it goes away in a week, in two weeks, in a month, however long it takes. This is absolutely the longest that we've uh, maintained and been able to hold these horrors in front of the consciousness of America. Um, And I think part of that is, you know, being in quarantine, like our we, we we're stuck in this chair that like we have to watch what's going on there's there's no escaping that really right and um but I to what you're saying yeah it's like I'm I'm just the big question for me right now is like how do we keep the consciousness alive because it you know white people continually are waking up to these things and you know America is waking up to these things and then it just goes back to sleep and, and the thing is, is that I'm just going to sound like I'm, I'm a total asshole and I'm fine with that. I don't care that you finally realize the reality of the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? Continuing forward and for the rest of our existence, because this is not uh, let's pass a law and let's move on with our lives. It's forever forever we need to actively change our society forever Mm -hmm. and ever and onward and you got to teach your kids and they got to teach their kids and so on and so forth so that's the commitment that needs to happen and so i mean I, i keep on reading articles that there's already white fatigue white fatigue on well on, yeah they white people have protesting. not white people have never built their stamina uh in order to face these issues white because of the system uh you know they white people are so fragile white people whiteness is yeah. so fragile but um but but th- this is the reality mm-hmm. my two godchildren, okay who are brown boys when they were nine years old and onward had to have a, they 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 had to be sat down and had to have this conversation and this happens to almost every single black boy and girls where you are different you have to handle yourself the world is against you the police will stop you and onward this is the reality from so young that you have to be activated in your mind and in your person that you are weaponized simply for the skin color that you are Mm -hmm. okay so like do you understand what that is that every time my godchildren go out into the universe 
we are concerned. Mm-hmm. There, there is concern in the entire family that they may not come home. And this is the reality for every black male. You don't graduate from that. You don't walk away from that. And so, you know, white people being fatigued because they protested or saw reality for a week or two weeks, get the fuck out of my face. Like, come on. Come yeah. on. Like, Part black of- boys, this yeah. is just one level. Okay, it's, one level yeah. being followed every time they go into a store for no reason. They can have piles of cash. Again, my godson, when he goes to get his school clothes, when he used to go get his school clothes, he could have $2,000 in his pocket to buy his clothes. He is being accosted, okay? Mm-hmm. Accosted. And this this is on the daily, and he's walking around with like $500 sneakers in the store, you, you, you see his clothes and you know the kid has money, doesn't, it doesn't matter, okay? Mm-hmm. Every single turn. Yeah, and I do want to... And it shouldn't matter that he's dressed fine no. and fly. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It yeah. shouldn't even matter. And I think the, that conversation, like... I feel like you can hear what we're saying right here everywhere. Like, this is what everyone's been shouting. But I think um, something that we can talk about, which we brought up, the white fatigue. Um, Between us, we can be so fucking mad and frustrated and, like, how dare you, like... uh, want to sit down like this is this is a lifelong journey you don't get to go to sleep you don't get to you don't get to walk away from this work on yourself and this like oh you're tired oh like don't don't expect me to feel bad for you like we can sit here and say that kind of stuff all day um what would it take for us to understand that as part of a white person's journey what what kind of empathy? Because, uh, again, this whole conversation that I'm having, I'm talking to people who are non-white, but I'm also talking to white people. And white people need a lot of validation, need a lot of encouragement, need a lot of, like, you know, coddling because the white identity is so fragile. So for the people who are feeling fragile, how do we get them to be less fragile? You know, is it is it just tough love all the way? And do we scream at them until they understand? And do we beat them into understanding? Or is there a way to find a balance between um, the the righteous anger that is you need to be better and like you need to you need to suck it up essentially? And is there a way to also guide them toward Guide them toward that strength. Okay. <laughs> Again, I'm going to be that person. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a few metaphors. Okay, here. let's do it. A few. <laughs> One, the building's on fire. I knocked on your door and I told you, the building's on fire. It is your fucking job to decide whether you want to leave the building or not. 
I'm not going to put you on my back. I'm not going to carry you out of the building. You're an adult. Die if you want to. Live if you want to. That's metaphor one. Mm -hmm. Two, what has happened to African-Americans and people of color in this country has is tantamount to rape and murder. And I'm putting that mildly. For the last, yeah. Columbus landed in this planet or in this country or not even in this country, in the Caribbean or Caribbean as you guys like to call it, but I say Caribbean because of my Spanish language. Okay? Does a person who has been raped, must they elicit sympathy? No. Is it their job to sit there and say, please understand what's happened mm -hmm. to me? Does that person who's been raped and tortured, do they have to make a case for themselves and then when the other person cries, do they have to hold their hand and hug them and coddle them? Do they? No. They do not. They would, take, they would have to be Jesus Christ to have that amount of forgiveness, you know? Why the hell do African Americans and people of color have to sit down with a PhD in psychology and therapy and medication, have to make a bridge in order to help mm. Anglo Americans, etc., process all of this? Why is the onus on them? Mm -hmm. So, this is going to sound callous, but it is not their job. I'm sorry that they're fatigued. I am sorry, okay? But it's time to put on your big boy and girl or other panties on and come to the light. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds harsh, but you cannot expect African-Americans and people of color to come into their own fighting for what they need and also have a PhD in psychotherapy for white people to help them come across. Like, how does that make any freaking sense? Well, I, yeah, I, I want to answer that. Go to... on. To, enlighten me. Yeah, well, I'm not trying to enlighten you as much as, um, I'm not trying to tell you anything, but um, I, I want to answer as to, like, clarifying the question that I had. What I'm doing is creating space for people to listen to these conversations, to, to hear people tell them that it is on you. Um, Again, I don't, I don't ever want to come to, and I posted this in the beginning of um, when Ahmaud Arbery happened, and then and then George Floyd, and then Breonna Taylor, and all of these things. Um, I was posting statuses being like, white people, if you're just waking up to this and you are uh, feeling all of this despair and you don't know where to go and you don't know how to process these feelings. Uh, before you talk to any person of color, please talk to me. Talk to talk to a white person before you take your feelings there because I guarantee you the amount of grief and processing that uh, 
non-white people are having to go through right now cannot hold your feelings and your whiteness. And so again, I'm, I'm interested in creating a space because again, I feel, I feel a responsibility toward other white people because I, I belong to, um, I belong to that, um, demographic. I, it, it is part of my responsibility to bring as many people along as I can. Um, and I've also, I've been back and forth over this line of like your past saving or your, your past talking to and like, oh, well, you maybe are on the line or on the fence about these things, but like, you really need to come over to the side of like, what's right. So I do think, I think it is truth. Um, this, this is a truth. White people do not take your feelings, do not ever expect sympathy for your um, ignorance or your uh, white people should never ever expect sympathy from non-white people um, for their, you know, for your uh, implicit racism, for your uh, things that you want to apologize for or feel guilty about, because there's a lot of guilt that white people feel and they want to be told that it's okay or they want to be validated. Um, that is no. for white people to deal with. Now, uh, I will say a few things to what you just said. Mm -hmm. One, you're doing your job. You're doing your part. You're doing your job. And I appreciate that. And I commend that, right? Which is you're looking at an angle of how do you help in this situation, which is what you're doing with your podcast and you talking to your, your amongst yourselves and all that kind of stuff. And I will say that everything that I'm saying is not to say that if, if a person, um, an angle person is confused about certain things or needs questions answered. I have no problem to have a conversation, a ro robust conversation about systematic racism, how I feel, um, how other people may feel in the community. That's how we move forward. Mm -hmm. It's not to say, don't talk to me or don't talk to us. Mm -hmm. That is not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that once you learn everything that's happened and you are processing the shock of that, don't come to me to feel better, okay? That's what I'm talking about because mm -hmm. there is a lot of confusion. Like, you know, I've had people, you know, ask me about things and they're like, is it really true? And I'm like, yes, it's really true. And let me tell you where to read about it. Mm -hmm. Like, these are things because... There's so much, mm -hmm. it's heavy, it, it is heavy, it's very dense, and and so many people are in the dark about so many, even the, the going back to what we spoke about, mm -hmm. about where the police came from, the origins, a lot of people are in shock, it is shocking, it was shocking to me when I first learned about it when I was in college, it was like, are you kidding me? Um. So yeah, there, there's going to be shock in learning about all of the minutia of all, all of this. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. You can't know everything. We all start from a place of ignorance on certain topics. That's fine mm -hmm. that you have questions. You also need to know who you're talking to. If someone is in the middle of a protest, if someone's in the middle of something, that's not the time that you start asking and 
forcing questions, obviously you need to know who you're speaking to in the moment. The thing is, is that what you can't lay on people is your issues. Mm -hmm. What you can't lay in there is trying to be a devil's advocate, which is another thing that I've, that I've come across of people trying to try to negotiate their racism and like uh, stuff like that. No, Mm -hmm. you know, again, it's, I'm not going to coddle anyone, no one. Okay. Which the biggest majority of people that are in my life are people of color. Mm -hmm. We are not going to coddle anyone with you contending with your racism, the racism of your people. That is not our job. It should not be our job. Full stop. I have a metaphor. Um, um, oh, I'm getting uh, feedback from you right now. Let's see if I can quit that. Um, this is a metaphor that I actually lived in real time. Not physically, but like um, in terms of pain. There was I was doing work with the Conciliation Project, which I've mentioned before. Dr. T is the first episode of this podcast. You should definitely take a listen to that if you haven't. But we... Um, she is the center of the work that I've done in terms of processing my whiteness and racism and learning all of these things. But there was a situation, an exercise that was done between white and black people where I hurt deeply another, a a black woman um, who we were all in the same community together. We were um, working together, but what I realized after that was this metaphor um if you stab someone you don't immediately try and give them a hug you you first got to take the knife out you got to cover their wound you got to give them time to heal and then you can ask for a hug maybe but you stuck a knife in someone you, you have had, as a white person in America who is coming into understanding, you are part of a system that has been stabbing, killing, raping, all of these things, black and brown and non-white bodies for centuries. And if you're coming into the realization of that and you're immediately going from oh, I'm so sorry, I've been part of the thing that's hurting you, and you you just want to feel comforted. That's not what needs to happen. We need to take care of the wound. We need to first take the knife out. We need to cover the wound. We need to give people time to heal. And then maybe together we can can come together and hug each other and be held. Um, But... But that was that that metaphor is what's coming to me right now is like you can't you can't stab someone and then just ask for a hug because you feel bad that you stabbed them. You stabbed them. Deal with deal with the repercussions of that. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I will add also be prepared to never be forgiven. Yeah, there, there's a, there is a very big truth to that. There are things that cannot be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and there's nothing that you can, you can do with that. Yeah. Forgis- forgiveness as an altruism is something that I've also been um, 
has been on my mind lately um, because we, as a human civilization, hold forgiveness in this place of divinity. You know, Jesus Christ, you know, Christianity, forgiveness is one of the main traits. And, and it's so quick to not forgive, you know, homosexuality, for one. Um, there, there's so many things that um, the church does not forgive. And and it, it, there's just such a hypocrisy around that where it's just like, I'm, I'm also trying to figure out is like, is forgiveness um, an ultimate goal? Do we, do we always need to feel forgiveness or work toward forgiveness? Is that as um, altruistic as we want to believe it is? Or I think there is benefit to, there is growth from not being forgiven. When someone does something, I mean, you can say like, I'll move past it, but like in, in the relationships you've had growing up throughout your life, all of us experience this. You fuck up so bad sometimes that like another human being can't forgive you for that. You might be able to come together and like ex coexist, but there are some things that like, maybe not being forgiven helps you grow. That's a larger philosophical question. <laughs> That's a larger philosophical question that I could only throw another question at you that comes from a historical context from, you know, studying Latin American history. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my thesis paper was on um, how slavery was done in North America versus how slavery was in... Uh, was done in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that North America did after the abolition of slavery was how they um, indoctrinated everyone. They, they started this in um, before the end of slavery, but after it was in turbo, how they indoctrinated all the slaves with Christianity. And one of the main tenets that they instilled be like the prime one was forgiving your enemy mm -hmm. so they depreciated a lot of the other lessons and brought forward forgiving your enemy and so that was tactical um there were manuals that were written on what to do with your slaves how to navigate your slaves and so this manual was not only written uh, by the South, but it was also uh, sort of not necessarily entirely approved by the North, but the North didn't do anything to sort of like say this is unacceptable. And this is sort of like the beginning of the codification of how the South was presenting itself in a new way after the loss of the Civil War. Mm. Um, you know, like with what the, the the daughters of the revolution were doing. So it was this whole propaganda of how to rebrand itself, how the South rebranded itself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have, you have these slaves that were indoctrinated by the masters. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about forgiveness, um, you're talking within the confines of people who are deeply Christian as African Americans are, as a lot of people of color are, but this indoctrination was put upon them. 
um, and and I'm talking about this sort of on the outside. You know, you'll yeah. you'll you would have um, many African Americans and many people of color saying, you know, I'm a Christian because I'm a Christian because I'm a Christian. But I'm talking about this in a historical context where this was imposed on them. Mm-hmm. So this idea of forgiveness is it's been ingrained in a very deliberate in a very specific way so what what do you do with that what do you do with that when your master has in, has purposefully planted the seed of forgiveness mm-hmm. is the gateway to heaven what does that mean yeah and and to this and this is everything that i feel about the church is like I yeah i don't know if Jesus Christ may be able to forgive anyone and anything, that was his purpose. He died on the cross to forgive all of our sins and all of our things. Uh, but um, to not forgive someone um, makes you human. And it is not your job to be anything else. It is not your job in this life. You know, the church will have you believe it's your job to live as much of a Christ-like life as you can. Um, but the reality of that and actually being being able to have that kind of compassion and forgiveness and empathy is not, literally, it should not be, according to scripture, humanly possible. It is inhuman. You do not have the capacity as a Christian to be that divine. So allow yourself to experience unforgiveness or allow. So like, I just want, yeah, like any, any Christians who are listening to this, I was raised in the Baptist faith for 16, 17 years before I left the church. Allow yourself your own humanity because white people, especially our entire lives are told how divine we are and told how close to God we are. And it's like, because of the color of our skin, because we are the saved people, you know, divine right to rule, all of these things serve to make white people feel like they are right up there with Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You, need to, you need to come down from there. You need to, yeah. you need to root yourself in your humanity and find a way to to cope with that while also serving the god that you serve Mm -hmm. um but but you know sometimes serving the god you serve um makes you more inhuman and not in a godly way Mm -hmm. um it makes you more inhuman because you are acting more like the devil in your inhumanity than you are like the God you claim to serve. So that's that's my two cents. Well, what you don't know is I was uh, raised Pentecostal. Oh, oh, I have I have an aunt that's Pentecostal, so I I know a little bit, but I know it's um it's lively. Okay, both, both my grand both my grandfathers are mm-hmm. ministers. My grandfather my grandfather passed away this last year. And um, we had we had a mixture of denominations. He was buried a Catholic man. Um, he had a Baptist preacher at his funeral, and then the music was Pentecostal. Oh, and, fire! 
it was it was these hymns that you know um how great thou art how great thou art how great thou art like very somber i knew them as somber hymns and these pentecostal women were screaming them at the top it was like and these were white women by the way but it, it was like an emulation of like black women's voices it was uh -oh. the the most bass you could do the most vibrato like so much power and they yeah they turned these somber hymns into like a, a torch song a like you know a movement song oh, so yeah. <laughs> what are you, leading into that what is your relationship with the church <laughs> i know that's a huge question given uh if you didn't listen to the last episode both of us are queer people. Both of us are not currently in the church, although I'm sure, I mean, you said you were raised Pentecostal, I was raised Baptist, but I'm, I'm curious to know um, what that did to you. <laughs> what did it do to me? What did that do to you? <laughs> Where does one begin? Um, well, A, I do not serve the master's gods. <laughs> Um, I'm actually agnostic, okay. uh, where I have not uh, received evidence to corroborate or to not corroborate the existence of God. Hmm. I will say that um, whereas I don't uh, utilize the idea of a spirituality, I do respect and admire those people who do have a spiritual life. And I know and love many people who have a spiritual life. Um, and I think that's a, that is very important. Um, I, I, I think it's a beautiful experience um, because so many people around me do have it. Um, I will tell you this tidbit, and I, I think it's muscle memory. Mm -hmm. um, I travel a lot. And when I feel lonely um, or confused or, I, I don't know, when I feel something, um, I'll go to a church. And it, it doesn't really matter what church to kind of center myself. Hmm. So, um, and I don't feel so lonely. Um, and that's, that's interesting. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of agnostic. That is, that I is. I will say that um i've read the bible several times yeah um i studied uh the bible deeply uh i did believe deeply in god for a significant amount of time in my life um and the when 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 religion is beautiful mm -hmm. i think it's an amazing thing mm -hmm. i think that people men women they pervert it in a way that is unhealthy. Hmm. Um, and I think that uh, religion has its place in the world. And I think when it when it works, it's a beautiful thing. Hmm. So I don't have bad things to say about religion. I have bad things to say about people and religion. Yeah. I am right there with you. Um, and I think it's interesting, yeah, what you say about going to a church to center yourself. You and I have also talked about I think as, as, as much as you are agnostic, um, you know, we can debate evidence of a higher power all day, but I think you 
you do exude a certain spiritual sense, like, but it's much more of the people of this earth. There is this, you believe in the spirit of like what's going on right now and other humans. I believe um, in people. Yeah. I believe in the goodness and the kindness of humans. Yeah. I think, I yeah. That. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's a kind of spirituality. And I also, I know we've talked about uh, my church now. Like when I want to go to church, when I want to commune with um, something larger than myself, I always go to an art gallery. And I'll, I'll always go somewhere where I'm being confronted with new perspectives and new images and new ways of thinking. And that effectively um, invigorates my spirit. I, I feed much more off of that than I do, you know, going to a church and singing songs with people, which honestly, I remember being part of the church and like that is, um, that is one way to really energize yourself. But there is a point where I think some people like you and I get to where um, we start to become excluded um, because of our identities. And this is not, you know, I'm a white queer man, but even even that gives me a perspective into like the way I was treated by my Sunday school teachers and like Bible study people and like the the words that I heard reflected in their voices told me that I was not a part of the same church that they were. Even though I went to all the services, I went to all these things, I was not a part of the same faith. Right. And so that's why I had to leave. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to add on to that, there, there was, um, for me, um, the, the, it, it, it was this weird, it was this weird situation where obviously the sexuality was like, <laughs> right? But on the other hand, the intellectual component was mm. was incredible. Mm. So, for example, I'm sorry, honey. Can you just yeah. let me pause? Because the animal is wild. Yeah. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Come on. And the church that we went to, um, after one grandfather was a minister in Florida, and his church was like, I don't know, 3,000 people. But my, my grandfather in Puerto Rico, that where I lived at, um, he had retired. And the church we were going to was also very large. It was like 2,000 people. But I was known because I asked the difficult questions. So my Sunday school teacher, I was probably like 16 years old. And I was just like, I, I don't understand why there are so many planets. Like, you know, because the church, the church's teaching was like, basically, we're the center of the universe. Like, 
to hear them tell it, the sun revolved around us. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. this is where the mentality was. And school was teaching me, obviously, a whole bunch of other things. So he was just like, you know, in so many words, you know, the teachings of the church are behind. And, and science is ahead, you know. And he's just like, we can't do things about that. The, us, meaning the teachers, we can't, we can't force the hand of that. Hmm. And he goes, but you're allowed to, as, as a participant in the religion and as a reader of the Bible, you are allowed to think whatever you want to think. And he was just like, you know what? He's like, God, one thing I can tell you is God doesn't make mistakes. And he goes, if there are many planets and there are planets beyond those planets, God obviously has a bigger plan. And so could there be extra extraterrestrials? Because that was my question. He goes, logically, it seems exceptionally plausible. Now, let me give you, let me quantify this. This guy was an older man. So I was 16. This guy was probably probably pushing 70 this man if he went to ninth grade would be excessive okay so this is like a backwoods old guy from the old country Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like and we're having this conversation we're having this conversation privately and he goes you know you are lucky and you are meant to use your rational mind and People can only go to the level that they can go to. So it's your job to take the Bible and move in the direction that you can move. Mm -hmm. And so for me, this is the beauty of religion. Do you know what I mean? So I was lucky, you know, so I don't have in the sense of theory and that aspect of having clamps. The where the clamps are were sexuality and this is a sin and that's a sin, you know. Boys are a sin, girls are a sin, you know what I mean? Like all those things were a sin. Like they used to measure my hair, how long it was, you know, they used to measure how long my skirt was. Like these arbitrary, weird rules. But on the other hand, I was lucky because I now know that there was religion oppression of like you can't think you're not allowed to read the bible but in that instance there was a mental freedom that i was allowed but you know as i got older you know the the there's a certain uh, oppression and repression with with religion that didn't gel with what i was thinking but i say that to to sort of give you a yeah. a, a measure to to what you were um so I wasn't inhibited in terms of thinking. I was allowed to think mm-hmm. freely in my religious experience. So that part was beautiful. The Hitler-esque um, other component, not so much. Yeah, you're. I, I agree with the the mental faculties aren't as inhibited as the emotional ones. Right. Um, and yeah. We, we we went to a place that is not about, you know, race or uh, what the conversation is necessarily centered on that I'm trying to have, but I appreciate that a lot. And um, I'm wondering if we can turn that around 
and I want to go back to what you said about using well, it, it using religion as an indoctrination. It is a tool of control. It yeah. goes back to serving the master's gods. Yeah. Are you serving your gods or are you serving your master's gods? Well, I think everybody's serving their master's gods. Stands yeah. if they're doing like Santeria or something like that. <laughs> but I think that everybody, in the end, are yeah. you, do you really have a choice? Do you really have a choice? I think, yeah. I've created, I've, no, since I've left the church, I've created my own God that I serve. And that takes its form. And, you know, sometimes it's a higher power that I call the universe. Sometimes it is just me being with another human. Um, but you, you have to understand that your line of religion yeah. has mostly been of a choice, right? Yeah. A, a person of color sans, you know, choosing, like if you're Mexican, Guatlique and, and Sochi, like all those, they're, they're older gods or, you know, if you're doing Santeria and your voodoo gods, mm -hmm. like everything else, if it's a Catholic God or if it's a, you know, if you're a Baptist, you know, that has been put upon you and mm -hmm. you're saying you made a choice, but you didn't really make a choice. Mm -hmm. And this is me. I'm sure I'm going to get heat for that. <laughs> yeah. I have, I've had people, you know, I've had a person where I, I, I actually cried in front of them. You know, I had a person tell me, well, if I had to be a slave in order to become Christian, I'm fine with that. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell to do with that. I don't know what the hell to do with that because that's just disturbing on another level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have slavery just fucked us all up in, in a way that is impossible to comprehend. Truly. And that's part of the timeline of slavery that I think people don't understand because it still exists today in the form of mass incarceration and the yeah. 13th amendment that was something i had written down earlier if you've not we're not talking about documentaries and things you should watch everyone's got a list whether it's physically written or like in the back of your mind if the if the 13th by ava duvernay has been on your list and you still have not gotten around to watching it just stop everything you're doing and watch that documentary because it will force you out of your ignorance your your uh, complacency and it will illustrate to you how slavery is alive and well and has been perpetuated by the police by our prison systems and by our government um it's just slavery has not uh been eradicated it's just changed so yeah so I'm yeah i'm not in favor of privatization of, of jails yeah um, but speaking, speaking to like the journey forward, slavery existed before America did, but America's, America's history is 400 years of slavery and it's going to take 400 years to unpack all of that. It's going to take centuries more to reverse or to counteract all of the damage done. Um, so, so for anyone this is also another trait of white people. White people want a list. Give me the 10 points that I need to like t call myself an anti-racist or to like say that I have diversity training and I'm gonna bang, bang, boom, 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 I'm done. 
I did my did, did my training. No, yeah. this is centuries. This will be four centuries more. Me. Yeah, give me give me my gold star. Um, people need to. We need to start collectively talking about how long this is going to take, and we need to have a vision for the future because um, we're at a turning point. We're at the thing is, is that here's the thing, and again, because I hear this a lot that well, slavery existed in other cultures, etc., etc., etc. American slavery was very unique in the sense of you you bought slaveries from an entirely different country, right? You sold them here, and then you split up these families, right? And then you bought slavery, you, you bought slaves from different regions so that they couldn't speak to one another, right? Mm-hmm. And then you dehum- dehumanized them, right? So the, this, the manner in which you created it, it's them. The manner, oh, he's interviewing me. The manner <laughs> in which, hi, Denver. Hello, Natasha. What's up, handsome? I miss you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's a wel- It's a very welcome interruption. Lovely to hear your voice. Um. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. Just hold out the way. I have no idea right now if this is gonna be a great part, like a great episode, or you and I are just drinking and like. Chit chatting away. <laughs> I love it though. I love I love this. Um, so the method in which slavery was handled here in the United States was unlike slavery anywhere else. Mm. So slavery elsewhere and like for example in the Caribbean, you had entire families that were kept together mm-hmm. or entire villages were that were kept together not that it makes slavery any better mm-hmm. but what happens is 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 that people were allowed to to keep their own religion that's why you have such a proliferation of santeria in like brazil and in the caribbean um so mm-hmm. that it sits differently on the psyche like, so you can't, it, Spanish has a lot of African words versus in the United States. Mm. You have these different layerings where um, the damage, the, the psychological damage that has happened in the United States is very unique unto the United States. I don't know if that makes any sense. So when Americans are saying Anglo-Americans, well, there's slavery everywhere else, mm-hmm. It's... Yes, the Jews were slaves, mm-hmm. right? They kept their culture. They kept to them, you know. They kept everything. You know, you had instances where bar- the bar- barbarians in, mm-hmm. in were in Ireland and all that kind of stuff, but they were together. You know, you had Romans that enslaved people, but they. So well, yes, there was slavery everywhere on the freaking planet, and nobody did it like America. Because they know how to do it best. Yeah. A for effort, America. <laughs> Who? Yeah. Mm. 
part I'm just thinking of um, my mother went to a college in Georgia called Oglethorpe University and um, it was named after James Oglethorpe who was instrumental in establishing the cotton industry in America and that's just a name that like you know when we when we think of like who created this system who created this system of slavery and all of this uh, horror that is America's past was it Christopher Columbus was it you know, Thomas Jefferson, was it these people? No, it's people that you haven't heard of, like James Oglethorpe, who, um, you know, bought XYZ amount of slaves and then got this legislation passed to, um, you know, effectively, uh, yeah, just like mm, creating systems. There's still a lot of history that we need to learn as a country about how we created this system because nobody seems to really know how it got here um, or at least it's not taught to us in school there's a book again i don't remember titles but uh, I, i'll i'll lend it to you um mm -hmm. it's basically how from we get from slavery to the industrial revolution here in the united states mm -hmm. And it's, it's basically how, because people seem to, to, to not think that uh, African-Americans don't contribute to the mo our modern society. It's sort of like there's this blank, like there's slavery that ends and then American, Anglo-Americans just make everything prosper. <laughs> and it, it shows how basically we wouldn't have modern society today without slavery. Yeah. And how, how it, it's just one thing after the other, one thing after the other. It's a, it's a mm -hmm. fascinating read. I, I have mm -hmm. it somewhere. I well, was I, reading yeah. it last summer. <laughs> that makes me think of Eli Whitney and the cotton gin. It was like, mm. he, didn't, he didn't invent that because he was smart. He invented that because he, wanted, he was tired of picking cotton. You know, he wanted to help people not have to pick cotton. And the way that it's taught in school is, you know, Oh, this brilliant black man invented this thing that revolutionized the way it was like, yeah. no, he was doing his best to survive. He was, that was an act of survival. That was not, and, and, you know, yes. And then white people just explode everything and want to, uh, yeah. profit and make things prolific and, uh, prosper. Yeah. Mm. The person who controls the narrative mm. controls everything, right? True. Well, hopefully I can use some of my white control of the narrative and shift it towards a bit more of an educational point of view. Yes, um, please. Yeah. But with that, I actually want to, I want to end our second bit of this conversation. <laughs> She's making the tear-eyed face. Um, but you and I are going to continue to talk forever and ever about this. But um, uh, yeah, I may I maybe just want to grab another drink and sit down. But this has been a good another hour with you, Alicet. It's only been an hour? It, yeah. It's been, it well, yeah, it's been. feels like super fast. I know. So, um, so yeah, I just want to thank you again. Uh Closing remarks, anything you want to give to the people who don't get to continue on our personal journey together? Um, 
actually, are you going to have like notes with this? Yeah, I will. Um, I'll give you I, the opportunity. I, I think to... I mentioned two books. I think um, I'll, I'll give you the names of the books because I think they're very relevant. Mm-hmm. Two or three books that are very relevant to our our conversation. That yeah. I think it would serve people well. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'll, I'll find the names because okay. hopefully because I have like a cavalcade. Cavalcade is that the right word? I think that's a word. I don't know what that word means, but <laughs> that that is a word. Oh, no, 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 because that's my, that's my pleasure in life, learning vocabulary words in English. It, I, I have a bunch of books, but, you know, since I'm packing, I don't know if they're around. I'll, I'll, look, I'll okay. look. But I have three books that I would recommend to read. I will insert those at the end of this or maybe before. Who knows? Yay! All right. Well, I love you again. I kind of like you. <laughs> just a smidge. Just All right. A smidge. Perfect. And here we are at the end of part two, although this is not the end of the conversation Set and I continue to have to this day. Um, like I said, I believe in part one, every time I'm in Set's presence, I feel love. And uh, sometimes, as you can see in this episode, it's a bit of a tough love, um, which we all need. We, I come from a background that's you know what how can we do things the most sensitive way so that we don't upset people and as is appropriate Ali said I don't think is um as concerned with my feelings uh she's concerned with my actions and that um to me uh speaks volumes about the kind of relationship that we have and um I'm immensely grateful to have her in my life and uh be a mentor to me artistically and um, socially, activist-wise. Um, I hope you got as much as I did about out of this as I did. Um, if not, well... <laughs> um, but that's all for now. So until next time, from your friendly uh, podcasting white boy, I love you. I look forward to learning with you and from you. And I'll see you next time.